Guys, I want to thank you for being here and being a part of, uh, of this service with us today. Normally, I would dismiss our kids, uh, but we started a couple weeks ago with the kids actually being uh, out and doing their, uh, doing their things out in the classroom from the very beginning. So um, if you, uh, I guess we didn't communicate that well last week, and some kids are like, when do I get to leave? You can leave now if you haven't left already. And so if you want to head out over there, your teachers are already in their classrooms doing that. Uh, it is a great morning to be here, and I want to welcome you to our fifth Sunday of being a part of the Church United. We've been looking at this uh, in our Gospel Project series, a series within a series, and we started off with being united in the Gospel message. We looked at the Gospel message. We looked at united in leadership. Thank you, Dave, for filling in for me a couple of weeks in a row there while we were out of town. Uh, he also talked about being united in the essentials of the faith. Now today, as we begin to uh, dive in, uh, last week we looked at being united in love. We looked at the, the communion table and the process and the love of Christ. We talked about the unity and the love of Christ and how it changes the way that we see things. It changes us from a me culture to a he culture. Is it me? Do I need to take this off and just go with the mic? Okay, sorry about that, guys. We've been having some mic issues this morning. As we're looking at this, as we're looking at being united in faith and united in love, that whole idea of the me culture to the he culture comes into fact here. What we do and how we live and how we center our lives is very dependent on what way we see culture. Our lives, if it revolves around us, Everything in our life will display that. But if our lives, if they're displayed on Christ, if they're revolving around Christ, everything in our life will display that. Are we me-centered or are we he-centered? See, the truth is, is we can't, we can't follow both culture and God. It's not possible. They're, they're too different in all things. We can't follow both, yet too many in the church, we do. On Tuesday nights, our Axis Youth Ministry has been going through a Right Now Media Bible study. And that study has been called The Road Trip to Truth. And if you're a part of the church uh, and you want to have a look at Right Now Media, we offer it to you guys free. It's an app that has all kinds of online Bible studies. It's like a Netflix, basically, for Bible studies. You can check out any of those for free. Uh, you can send me an email. I can send you an invite, and you can have it. It's a download. You can have it on your Apple TV. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your iPad, any of those places like that. But we've been using this, and the, the road trip to truth there's a guy going around to college campuses and high school campuses, and he's asking a very simple question. What is truth? What is truth? And in it, one of the things that they've been talking about, even in this last week, was talking about the differences in the way that generations see truth. And part of the reason why the generations see truth differently is because we have shifted from a modern philosophy to a postmodern philosophy in what we do. Most of you who are grandparents or pretty much over the age of 30, you grew up in the modern era. The modern era started about 1400 and went till about 1990. And that was just, the thinking of the modern era was really this. It was defined by a search for truth. The scientific world, the pursuit of natural law, to understand truth, to discern truth, to discover truth, and to find truth. That's what the modern era was. The next generation, this postmodern generation, believes there is no absolute truth. 
And it changes the way that you see things. Um, as we look at this me culture, it says that everything is about me and what I believe. There is no absolutes that is going to hold me to this, and everything is relative. So because everything is relative, I can do whatever I want in life with little repercussion. Now, that's a difficult place for us to be in, but we also see the results over the last 30 years in our society, do we not? The way that people live, the way that people act, the way that people do things is because they get to define their own truth according to culture, which is kind of a ridiculous thing to think about, but it's the way people believe and the way people live. Postmoderns say there's no truth, and you can define your own truth whatever you want it to be, which means it's all about you. The problem is, when it comes to Christianity, Jesus very much says it's not about you. As a matter of fact, he says it's all about him, that he is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. He is the absolute, and no man comes through the Father except through him. So his teaching stands in direct contradiction to the world's thinking, and that's not the only thing. The, the world today isn't just about no absolute truth. There's really a second thing, and that second thing is this. It's called moral relativism, and if you want to break it down to simple, there's no authority. There's no truth, and there's no authority. There's no standard. There's no secure law. There's no one against whom we're being measured. There's no plumb line if you're into construction. There's no plumb line by which we gauge what's straight and what's not. And in it, there's no established authority which we have to answer to. There's no standard. There's no anything. Every individual has their own personal authority that determines what they get to do. So you first, you have no truth, and second, you have no authority. The third thing is they've really be wrapped up in this idea of personal freedom. And the personal freedom comes to there's no rules. I can do whatever I want. So first, you have no truth. Second, you have no authority. And third, there's no rules. Postmodernism says the fact that these things are taking place, the freedom says nothing else matters except for me. Nothing really matters, and there's no guidelines except for the ones that I choose to adopt for my own life. Do you see where there's a possible conflict in all of this? Especially between Christianity and the, and the postmodern thinking of today. Not that we needed a fourth one, but there is a fourth one, really, that defines this current generation in the way it thinks, and that is this. It's called humanistic atheism. Humanistic atheism, or the fact there is no judge. There's no judge. So right now, we're the place that there's no truth, there's no authority, there's no rules, and there's no judge. And that is the pervasive thought that's being sold to our culture today. And would you say that it's leaked into the church? Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes, it seeped its way in. And, and the bottom line thinking of our culture today is you have nothing to which you're accountable for except yourself. Am I a good judge of myself? No. I'm the best salesman in this room to sell myself on whatever I want to do. And you're the best salesman for yourself. So the fact that we say that we're the ones in charge, that is a problem. And there's going to be consequences even though we don't think there's going to be consequences. Even though we might debate against the consequences. And really, if you add all those things up together, if you take no truth, no authority, no rules, and no judge, it means there's no accountability. It all equals up to that. The thing is, as Christians, we can't think like that. We have to move from the me culture of no accountability to the he culture that we are accountable to Christ. It's going to change how we see things. It's going to change what we do. And our eyes are going to be open to the fact that there is a truth. 
And that truth is Jesus Christ. There is an authority, and that authority is Jesus Christ. There are rules that he has set out for us, and there is a judge. And every single person in this room and every single person on this planet will stand before that judge one day in judgment, in condemnation. And if you do not have, if you do not have an advocate on your behalf by the name of Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity without God. And that is something we're dealing with in the culture. And you might say, well, well, that sounds great. Let's close up in prayer. Amen, right? We heard the message. We're all good, right? The problem again, though, is that we as Christians are not immune to drifting back into the me culture. We're not immune to drifting back into the me culture in that way of thinking. See, the temptation from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, what did he do? What did Satan cause Adam and Eve to do? Question God. So did God really say how many times does the church even still say that today? Did God really say? Yes, he did. It's in his word, and we have to hold on to that. But we're tempted to say, did God really say? And then the next temptation that was there was, you can be like God if you have your eyes open. And don't we want to be like God sometimes? I'd hate to say it's more than sometimes. It's far too often that we want to be God. And if we get into that way of thinking, if we get into that line of thought where we're questioning God, we're questioning his word, and we are beginning to think that we're like him, we're going to drift into that postmodern thinking. Because that is really what it's all about. When it comes to that type of thinking, who's in charge? Who is the authority? I am. The gospel becomes my version of the gospel. The truth becomes my version of the truth. The authority becomes my version of authority. The rules become my version. And ultimately, I am the judge on who gets to decide that. It's a drift that we do not want to get into. And the thing is, is it happens over and over again in church culture. As a matter of fact, if you look almost five, or a little bit over 500 years ago, in 1517, on October 31st, does anybody know that date by chance? When Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door? The church at the time had drifted, and they drifted into this me-centered thinking. They had added to the gospel and weren't following the gospel. They had become more reliant on traditions. And so he nailed those theses to the door and began what became known as the Protestant Reformation. And in the Protestant Reformation, it was a, it was a movement that, that spread throughout Europe, and obviously we're even still filling it today, that based itself on five solas. And the five solas are this. It is a, a Latin term, by the way, that is sola scriptura. First is scripture alone. Scripture alone, the emphasis on the Bible alone is a source of authority for Christians. That was something they, they were challenging within the current church at that time, that basically the Bible was the only book that was inspired by God, as Second Peter talks about, is the only book that was God-breathed, as Second Timothy talks about. If a tradition contradicted the word of God, then it needed to be rejected. The second one we saw was this, sola fide. And maybe you see that word uh, fide or you hear that word fide and you think of fidelis, semper fidelis. Any Marines in here? What's that mean? Forever faithful. And so when we see that word fide or fidelis, it's about faith. In faith alone, emphasize salvation as a free gift received by faith. It's not earned, it's not deserved. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, so none of us can boast. 
So we have that, and it really expands into the next sola, which is sola gratia, which is grace alone. So, so far we have scripture alone and faith alone by grace alone, and that emphasizes grace as the reason for our salvation. There's nothing we've done to earn it, as that verse says, there's nothing we've done to deserve it, but because of God's grace, we have it. Because of his grace alone. Sola Christo is in or through Christ alone. There's no other way to salvation. Jesus himself says it. There's no other way to God. And then you have sola di gloria. That is the glory of God alone. The whole purpose of all this, the whole purpose of our lives, is to glorify God. And this was the basis of the Protestant Reformation, one that we still live through today. So to summarize it, according to God's holy word, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for God's glory alone meaning it's not about me. It's all about God. All this is. And so we see this, and the Reformers had written that to the church of the day, and it was the Roman Catholic Church that it had gone away from these thinkings, and it was all about humans and priests and popes and, and things like that. And they said, no, it's about God. And we have to come back to that. They had drifted from the truth of the gospel. But the crazy thing is, is they had taken the scriptures from Paul, who had written to the church at his time, he had also drifted from God. And so he'd written these things, and he was writing these things, and, and Paul preached this gospel, the grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for God's glory alone. He had preached that gospel, and the church of the day was adding to it. Why were they adding to it? Well, because we're human. That's why. Because we question God. That's why. Because we want to be like God, and if we can add to it and add our own rules to it, it changes everything. And they said, God surely didn't say, or God surely didn't mean, and they fill in that blank and they add it to the gospel. Today, we're in the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open the Galatians. We're going to go through the entire book in a huge hurry. People take a year to go through Galatians. We're going through it in a week. So buckle up your seatbelts. We're going to fly right through this, but I really want to point out some specific verses that really talk about all of Galatians. As Paul writes it, there's really a, a summary. And that, that summary boils down to the fact that it is a gospel of justification by faith alone. So as we're seeing it, we're seeing this church in the region of Galatia. And the funny thing is, you could spend an entire time on who Paul's actually writing to. Was it a region? Was it a group of people? There's the northern philosophy. There's the southern philosophy. There's all kinds of stuff that I just think sometimes get in the way of the actual truth of the gospel. That there, we need to be by justification, by faith alone, rather than human works. And they had this theological crisis that was going on. They had these guys in the church called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were legalistic Jews. Now, we can hold on to that word legalistic because it's just as prevalent today as it was then. But we have these guys that insisted that if you were going to be a Christian, you had to keep the Mosaic Law. So they were going back to the law that Jesus fulfilled and saying you have to do this. As a matter of fact, they were even more specific, saying if you're going to become a Christian, you have to be circumcised first. And so you have this out there, and you're saying if you convert to Judaism first, then you can become a Christian, which goes against grace alone. And so Paul is trying to lay that out there, and he learned about the heresy, so he's trying to teach and write this epistle to teach them that it was away a, a from the actual gospel. There's a guy by the name of Paul David Tripp. He's got some videos also on that uh, 
right now media, but he writes a, um, a summary to Galatians that I liked and I wanted to share it with us is this. Galatians is a powerful reminder that the greatest dangers to the church of Jesus Christ are never outside the church. They're always inside the church. The Judaizers, they were part of this new church and the greatest danger is they would be some kind of pollution of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that would weaken the life and the ministry and the message of the church. And the greatest of those pollution dangers is legalism. Listen to what he says. And the reason is so dangerous that legalism plays to our pride, it plays to our self-righteousness of sin, it plays to the belief that somehow, some way, by my performance, by my obedience, I can achieve acceptance with God, that I can be that good, that I could be that wise, and that I could be that faithful. And so, that's the great enemy that is being addressed in Galatians. <coughs> Excuse me. I left my water bottle back there. Last week, I needed to say this real quick. Chris Lawson came up, put a water bottle up here while I was coughing. I had no idea. I was, I was in the zone, apparently. Uh, but I completely missed it. Thank you, Corey. Um, so I need to say thanks to Chris, because normally I actually say thank you when, when somebody does something like that. But um, didn't want you to think I was just being a jerk. <coughs> so here's what we need to understand about Galatians. Here's what we need to understand. That the gospel is that we are saved by grace alone. Through faith alone in Christ alone. At any time you add a plus, you destroy the gospel. Any time you add a plus, you destroy the gospel. And you know what else you do? You elevate yourself. As if what you're saying is more important than what God is saying. So as Paul writes his epistle, we see two different challenges to the gospel. The first one is that theological challenge that the Judaizers say you have to do this and this first. But then there's also another part of it that if you read the gospel, you'll see it. And in it, it actually talks about the fact that Peter was sitting and eating with Gentiles. But when the Judaizers show up, he gets up and leaves the table. It's like when the popular kids show up at school and they see that you're sitting with kind of the geeky crowd and you're like, oh, I don't really want to be seen with them. So you get up and you leave them and you start making fun of them too. Well, Peter did that. And Paul, he calls him out on it. And he didn't call him out on it nicely either. Sometimes we're like, you got to confront somebody and you got to confront them with the truth. And he does exactly that. So we have these two different challenges to the gospel. And in it, we see the fact that there's so many things going on in this new church, in these new believers, and, and there's all this pressure. And they're worried about the rules, and they're worried about the rule makers, and what the rule makers are going to say. And Paul says, you know what? We can't be. You have to understand what the gospel is all about. And if you have your Bibles with you, there's probably five words that I want you to highlight in the book of Galatians. And the five words that I want you to highlight in the book of Galatians would start out in chapter 2, verse 21, where Paul writes the word vain, or maybe died for nothing, depending on what translation you're in. And what he's trying to do here, and this is really covering that justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And that first word vain is, he says, if you could be justified by the law, if you could be justified by what you do, then the person and the work of Jesus Christ is in vain. He died for nothing. The second word is found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. And the word there is heirs. Heirs. And as we see the word heirs there, through the work of Christ, not our performance, we become heirs to the promises of Abraham. Let me read it for you just really fast. It won't be up on the screen, but let me just read for you if you want to follow along in your Bibles. It says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ 
You've been clothed with Christ. There is no, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to him, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So we see that word heirs. We, we are recipients of what Christ has for us. The third word I want you to see is the word sons found in Galatians 4.4. 4. As you see the word sons there, it talks about we become sons of God. We've been adopted. There's something you need to understand about adoption, and maybe you know this already. We've had the opportunity to go through adoption process numbers of times. The children never chose us. We chose the children. And God chose us, as we see in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, to become adopted into his family. The fourth word is the word freedom, and the word freedom is found throughout Galatians chapter 5, but especially in Galatians 5, 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Don't go back to the slavery, the yoke of slavery, which is the law. Don't go back to putting yourself under that pressure. Jesus set us free from the bondage of the law because Jesus is our righteousness, not our acts. And the fifth word that I want you to see is the word boast. Ephesians, or sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. It says this, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. That word just makes sense after he lays out the entire letter in the first five chapters that we can only boast in Christ, not in our own selves. We have to understand that Jesus is our righteousness and we have to understand that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That truth that he lays out there, it should change us. It should change the way that we see the world. It should change the way that we, we respond to the world. It should change everything about us. It should change, and it will change if we allow it. It should change the way we love. It should change the way that even as we're looking at this church united, it should change the way that we're united. Because what thing causes probably the most division among churches? Why do we have so many denominations? Would you say it's because we've added to the gospel? Those additions cause those divisions. And so we have to see, even as we look a little bit further, that those additions have to be put aside and we have to be united. So what I want to do with the rest of our time today is I want to expand on this idea of change. The, the change that the truth brings for us, the change that the, that the gospel brings to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that it brings to our lives through what we've talked about already in Galatians. And the catalyst for change, Paul really describes in three different ways, and it's mostly found in chapter two. But he says these three things, these three terms. One, we're justified by faith. Two, we've been crucified with Christ. And three, we are redeemed from the curse. So we're justified by faith, we've been crucified with Christ, and we're redeemed from the curse because of the gospel because of the grace of God. And that should cause us to live differently from the me culture. So first thing we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at being justified by faith. Galatians chapter two, verse 16 says these words, and yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, or sorry, faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Hear that word justified quite a bit. 
My guess is you don't use the word justified often in a regular conversation. Unless you work with Word documents all the time, you're like, no, we have to have it left justified. No, we have to have it center justified. No, we have to have it right justified. What does that justified mean? If you look at it from that thing, it's basically, it's in line, right? It's in line with the rest of the document. That's not exactly what Paul's talking about, but it does give us a good picture. Are we in line with God? Are we in line and aligned properly with what God's standards are? Are we justified to him? See, the word actually justified, it's a legal term, and it has to do with justice itself. The definition is, is, is basically this, pronounced or treated as righteous. So if you go back to that idea of being in line with God, are we righteously aligned with God in our, or lack thereof, righteousness? The image that Paul is putting down here is that we are in a courtroom and there's somebody on trial. You know who that somebody is? It's you and it's me. We are on trial and we've been accused of breaking the law. You know what law is? Or that law is we're breaking? It's God's law. And the evidence is brought forward and you know what? It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. According to Jesus, the summary of the law, summary of the Old Testament law is broken up into two things. You know what it is? Found in Matthew chapter 20, 22, verses 37 through 39. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, right? So that is the, the first and most important commandment. But then he says the second one is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And the law, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Here's what the record shows. You fail. I fail. Loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. It's in me. It's a desire that I have, but I fail at it. You know why? Because, well, having no other gods before God is a difficult task. I've been putting other things ahead of God, whether things like money or family or pleasure or success or, or whatever it might be. These are things that I put ahead of God. I've been fearing and loving and trusting and putting my faith in so many other things other than God. You know, as we sang that song, I will walk by faith even when I cannot see. Is that true? Is that true all the time? Because sometimes it's true in my life, but other times I just, God, I don't quite trust you. Let me take control. I, I know better than you do. And that is a failure in loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And then the second part is, is love your neighbor as yourself. I fail at that too. Like some of you guys I can love. Other of you, it's a stretch. It takes some time. And that's people inside this building. Imagine the people outside this building that aren't like me. How hard it is to love them. We're not good at that. So the evidence against us, it's overwhelming. In God's courtroom, under the law, we are guilty as charged. You know what? There's no plea bargain possible. The penalty is death. Justice must be served. And the judge, because he is a righteous, just judge, cannot waive the charges. Somebody has to pay the price. And just because I have some good behavior it's not going to get me off. It's not going to shorten the term because if that were the case, God would not be just. So here's the question. How do we get out of this alive? How do we get out of this alive? The evidence, undeniable. The law, unchangeable. The punishment, unavoidable. How do we get out of this alive? Well, 
The only way for us to be justified, declared righteous or not guilty, in this type of courtroom is for us to have a perfect substitute take our place. The one who lived righteously but was willing to take the punishment in my place. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, because of grace alone. It's not our works and how well we follow the law, but Christ's works that satisfies God's law and maintained his justice. Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf. Christ is perfect. He alone is the one righteous man. Likewise, Christ fulfilled the law in the terms of the punishment by stepping up and going to the cross. He suffered death under God's judgment in our place. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? I know we sing about it when we sing about amazing grace, but do we ever stop and really think about it? And because he's the very son of God, Christ's perfect righteousness was sufficient. Sufficient to take my place, sufficient to take the wrath of God, and we are acquitted. We had that righteousness imposed upon us from Christ. This justification, this being rightly aligned with God, is received by faith. We are justified by faith. That means trusting in Jesus' works, not our own, to be right with God. And here's the thing, that faith isn't some good work we do. Because we might say, well, I have more faith than you do. I believe stronger than you do. Our faith isn't actually what saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. Jesus. We don't get to attribute anything to ourselves. We don't get to justify ourselves by something we've done or there's qualities that are in us. You and I are justified by faith because it's faith in Jesus Christ. And that is where we have to stand. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glories alone. Our lives are changed by the fact we are justified by faith. But there's a next part that we need to see that Paul says you and I have also been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says these words, for though, I'm sorry, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what Paul's talking about is his life has been changed because of the gift of faith that he has received. He, he doesn't live the same way that he used to. And guess what? Neither, neither should we. We have received this amazing gift. We're no longer living to think that somehow I can justify myself before God by keeping my own law. See, Paul is writing that here saying, I tried and I continually failed. So what did he do? He had to change his way of thinking. He had to understand that, that it isn't anything that he can do and that he could not achieve the righteousness that God desired on his own. So instead, he accepted the righteousness that Christ gave him to truly begin living for God. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to live for God that we're living for ourselves and our glory about living for God. By faith, it actually makes it possible to live for God. Being crucified with Christ means we no longer under the penalty of the law. That penalty was paid by Christ on our behalf. You ever stop and just think about how amazing that is that a God would step down out of heaven for you and for me? Just pause for a second. We, we are the creation. The creator 
stepped down out of heaven for you and for me. Christ was crucified and we were crucified with him. The penalty was fully paid just as surely as we were crucified on that cross for our sins. When Christ rose from the dead, guess what? We rose too. Now the risen Christ empowers us to live for him in a way that pleases God. And we used to seek life. We used to seek life through our own works, but now we live by faith through the Son of God. Being crucified with Christ means we are a new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old is gone, the new has come. We have a new love. We talked about it last week. We see through the filter of Christ's love. We have a new commitment. What do we actually live for? For the glory of God alone. We have a new way of life. And let me just tell you this. It's not because we have to. That's when legalism comes in. It's because we want to in response to what Christ has done for us because we're changed and we want to see that change lived out. We are justified by faith. We have been crucified with Christ. But the third thing he talks about is we have been redeemed from the curse. Check out what it says at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not, what are those next two words? Do everything. Does anybody follow the law 100%? None of us. So we're all guilty. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it's clear that no one justified, or sorry, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. It's heavy to be under a curse, isn't it? It's heavy to be under a curse. The curse of the law fell on upon us when we, were, when we sinned, but it's been around since our very first parents. That curse has been hanging there. And you know what that curse does? It creates everything not to work right. I woke up this morning incredibly sore, and I have no idea why. I took three a leave, and I think it's working, but I'm still just stiff. Things don't work right. Creation is all messed up. Anybody watched the news lately? I actually haven't. I, I had my fill on a road trip. We go down to the hotel breakfast and they always have, you know, Good Morning America, whatever on. And I'm like, it just is constantly bad news. And it's like they're just shoving it down your throat. And we just live in a cruddy society. Yes, we do. But we have a good God that loves us very much and he takes care of us. But because creation's all messed up, it groans. It groans in futility. That's what the news is all about. Floods and tornadoes wipe out homes and houses. Crops fail. Mothers experience pain in childbirth. Not to give you any pre-warning on that, Courtney. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, you will. Um, <laughs> work, it, it's, it's difficult. Conflict and blame, they divide us. This is all because of the curse that we are under. But here's the beautiful thing. Christ redeemed us which means he bought us out of that curse and what did it well when Christ went to the cross it reversed the curse Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law he did it by becoming the curse for us he took all of our sin he bundled it all up he took it to the cross on himself and in his crucified body as he hung on that tree we were redeemed we were released and we were set free and it's for freedom
that we've been set free. Don't go back to all that curse. Don't go back to it all. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you what? Rest. He's going to give that to us. We've been redeemed from the curse and brought into blessing. Can I just tell you this truth right here needs no addition. It doesn't need anything else. The hard thing is, is believing that's true, isn't it? You know why? I know why for me, and I'm going to guess it's the same for you. I'm kind of a control freak. I like to say that I have control and that I can do what I need to do and I can earn it myself. I'm not one who likes handouts. I'm not one who likes any of those kind of things. I want to work for it myself. I want to get on God's good side by myself, not because of his grace, but because of my actions. And then I can boast about my actions, right? Of course, going back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I'm not supposed to. And that's the reason why, because God's the one supposed to get the glory, not me. When you're a person that wants to be in control, that's a hard reality. Grace in itself is a hard thing to grasp. You ever been, been a recipient of grace? It's hard to receive, isn't it? You ever been somebody who doles out the grace? Also hard to do. Grace is a hard concept, but when we really grasp the truth of who we are, when we really grasp what the law shows us about ourselves, by the way, if you really think about the law, the law does two things. One, it shows us our imperfections, and also it shows us our pride. That's the two things the law does, and that's why that's even such a heavier curse in it all. But like Paul says, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory. Chapter six says we can boast in that truth, not our version of the truth or what we think we can do. Can I tell you, this is something that should unite the church not divided, that in Christ alone we have our blessing. We have our righteousness. It's not something that should divide the church, but it's something you should unite it. And when I go back to the way the world's thinking, and I go back to how I opened up talking about this idea of no rules and no authority and no truth, they're in desperate need of hearing this. Can I ask you who they hear it from? It's us. It's the church, and that's why we have to be united, and we have to go and share and show that amazing grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today, and thank you for who you are, and thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to just praise your name and praise your goodness and give you all the glory for the grace you have bestowed upon us. Again, I'll say it again. It's not something that I've earned. It's not something that I deserve. It's not something that somehow, some way, you saw me as good enough. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, while I was still a sinner, while I was still an enemy of yours, while I was still far from you, Christ died for me. God, I know there are people in this room that believe that as well, but there's some others that are really struggling with it. And I pray today is a day they see your grace, they see your mercy, and they see the only way through to heaven is through that. Nothing they can earn, nothing they deserve, but all through you. God, we pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm gonna jump down, I'm gonna slide over to these chairs over here on this wall, and I would love to talk to you about the grace of God. I'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is and what he's done for me in my life and when he can do the same thing for you. Maybe you're under the weight of that curse. Maybe you're under the weight of the burden of thinking you have to earn something in all of this. Let's talk about that. I'll be over there. Or if you just want to pray with me, let's do that. I hope that today inspired you. 
going through Galatians that fast was, was a bit of a load for, for me, and I think I threw it all out onto you, so I hope that you're still absorbing that. But as we sing this last song, I pray that God is speaking to you and he's moving you in the direction he wants you to go.